0: Hello, I'm Michael Hainsworth. Sustainable finance. There was a time when it was just a buzzword, a way to help get the solar panel industry off the ground. But today there's widespread agreement that sustainable finance is the future of finance around the world. But Canada isn't a leader in this area. And as a country, we face the challenges of regional differences and our energy sector. Andy Chisholm, Corporate Director at the Royal Bank of Canada and a member of the Expert Panel on Sustainable Finance with the Government of Canada says, it all starts with building on existing perspectives.
1: In the most simplest manner, it means the financial sector taking all their normal reflexes, be it risk measurement, valuation, lending considerations, investment considerations, insurance, and similar types activities and reflexes and behaviors, and accommodating and integrating the notions, and notions meaning risk, opportunity, of climate change into that uh, series of behaviors or reflexes or activities that they're pursued in. And so our definition is is, um, talking about some of those individual components, but in the simplest fashion, it's saying finance to date has not considered anywhere near sufficiently, and in some cases, not at all, these really important issues which are now confronting us and for which we don't have a roadmap. And it's really important that we have the finance sector start to integrate those considerations into their normal reflexes. Otherwise, we run the risk of very significant capital misallocation and a disconnect between overall objectives of finding a successful path forward for a low carbon competitive future for our economy, and uh, the means to finance that. Uh, If the financial sector is not, in effect, modernizing itself, improving itself to integrate those considerations into their reflexes, then that disconnect will persist. And unfortunately, if things don't get financed, they don't happen. And so our overall objectives, in order to meet them, with regard to uh, successfully standing up to the challenge of climate change and building a competitive long term economy that works well in a low carbon context. We have to get these things right.
0: How do we go about that? Because the The report from the Institute suggests that regulation and policy has to give us a a bit of a push here. What of the invisible hand of the markets? Can't we just let it guide us down that path towards this modernization of finance and sustainable finance?
1: I think in the normal course, yes, it's um, a safe bet to allow markets to self-correct and adjust. The problem is we're dealing with an issue of major strategic importance for the country, of somewhat existential um, uh, consequences for all of us. And the scientists are telling us that we are rapidly running out of time. And so the biggest problem is that the speed with which markets might normally come to adjust is likely to lag the speed that must be applied to solving this issue. That puts us in a dangerous position. It puts us in a dangerous position with regard to the likelihood of achieving our objectives from both an environmental and an economic perspective. And it means that there is a significant risk that Canada lags other important parts of the world in that adjustment and as a result misses out on very significant opportunity uh, throughout its economy. And we find ourselves becoming beholden on the rest of the world in uh, economic sectors, be they food production, energy production, real estate, etc. cetera. Um, Folks that do do figure this out and um, we want to be leaders, not laggards in this respect and and to um, be able to benefit from the economic consequences from being leaders.
0: In the past, and I'm wondering about the present, uh, investing in environmental, social and governance related issues was often seen as sacrificing value. But it's argued that that's no longer the case. Do you get the sense, though, that broadly speaking, that Bay Street and the financial community, generally speaking, recognizes that ESG is no longer about sacrificing value. It's about building value.
1: It's on a journey. Uh, The change, even the last year of um, people's appreciation of the point that you just made, uh, has been significant. And, and in some ways, even profound, the, sh- the shift and the speed of the shift in sentiment. Um, I would say that there are a number of very, very sophisticated, large pools of money investors that increasingly are becoming clear in their mind in how they're communicating with others that proper integration of these considerations not only is essential with regard to being a wise and thoughtful investor, but also is in a position to create competitive advantage. Um, And everybody's looking for investment edge. And a number of folks are feeling right now that this is a very significant source of investment edge. And I think the point that you raise that that sentiment is not broadly appreciated or understood throughout the investment community and the investment spectrum uh, means that there are a disparate series of behaviors that are being observed and different parts uh, of the client base that are being well served and poorly served. As a result of this and um, some of our uh work in consultation consultations with many many people led us to an observation which was uh quite distressing which which was a number of important people in the investment community were considering it essential to integrate these issues and other parts of the investment community were saying it's uh, in dereliction of their fiduciary duty to do so. It just seems completely untenable for us for that kind of disparity of view to be present for something like this that is such a significant issue, has the potential to drive capital flows in different directions can lead to very significant real economy out- outcomes. Um, and therefore it was an important area of focus for our report.
0: I can imagine one might be able to argue that th- having sort of a bifurcated financial services community's view on ESG is what makes a market and that that creates potential uh, for growth um, and, and the value of an investment. I, I wonder though if, if um, the focus is is too narrow in my head. You know, when, when we talk about investing in a transition to a world that lessens its dependence on carbon, um, it's also discussed in the report that it's actually quite important to also invest in the adaptation of society, to, to look at the knock-on effects that um, the environmental issues we're addressing are, are having. And there are opportunities, not, uh, it's not just about investing in a solar panel company. Am I right?
1: No, that's, that's completely right. And I think throughout the economy, um, just, just go back and consider what our economy is, is driven by. And, and there are many, many facets of it. But inevitably, the resource and the energy sectors is a, a very considerable part of that. The transportation sector is uh, important. The the built environment, real estate, et cetera, is a very important component of that. Agriculture and food is a very important component of that. Um, As are uh, industrial activities that uh, are, are very energy intensive and so as a result of that we have a tremendous exposure to carbon uh one point i i'd like to make though the focus ultimately has got to be emissions reduction not simply a focus on carbon because i think those are are different things even though there's a very considerable intersection but given the makeup of our economy If we decide to be slow and gentle about how we adjust to what increasingly appears to be a global determination to solve this problem, then we may find that ultimately our practices and our leaders in those spaces become starved of capital, uh, become less competitive, and do not create some of the value through intellectual property creation innovations uh, and miss out frankly on uh, opportunities that are becoming more and more clear which is the correlation between emissions reduction and cost reduction which seems completely counterintuitive but appears to be very significantly present in industries such as the energy industry and therefore, long-term cost competitiveness often relates to being able to control environmental impacts to a great degree. And so if we are too slow, as I mentioned, and miss out on opportunity and find our, our capital access declining and our competitiveness declining, we'll be in a sorry state. If you turn that on its head, and say canada is great at dealing with constraints or we're, da- we're great at innovating then you can have a lot of optimism that uh, our key sectors which i referenced earlier and leaders within those sectors can actually enhance their global leadership both with regard to the innovation and the ability to export that uh, uh, new understanding the new innovations and get economic benefit from that, but also to build long-term competitiveness into their existing operations. And so it means being a much better uh, commodities producer, a much better food company, a much better energy producer, a much better transportation company, a much better real estate owner or operator, Um, And that's the potential for us if we get ahead of this ball. If we find ourselves lagging, we're going to also find um, others having set the rules for us that we increasingly cannot live up to.
0: The Alberta government's scrapped programs geared towards weaning the province off oil and to focus on high tech. Do we have to drag Alberta kicking and screaming into an ESG future?
1: By no means. I think Alberta is coming to understand these issues very, very well. We have an obligation to think of this not as a provincial quandary, but a national issue.
0: But Albertans don't want to talk to Ottawa. They don't want to hear a word
1: coming out of Parliament Hill. I, I can understand there's a massive amount of antipathy. Uh, I don't fully understand all the background and I don't live there. So the full scale of emotion um, is something that I observe, But uh, uh, and I understand the depth of that. But I think you're making a gross generalization.
0: Yeah, I'm spending way too much time on Twitter, I suspect.
1: <laughs> Perhaps. And I think, uh, frankly, that's... Um, reflective of a much bigger issue, which is we need to focus on the prize. We need to focus on the outcome that ultimately is going to be reflective of success. And we need to find ways together as a nation to get there. There's no question that there is going to be one of the most dramatic energy transitions. That is going to take place during our lifetimes during our careers and it's going to uh, involve some very very considerable change it's not the first time the world has gone through an energy transition and going through an energy transition by the way does not mean we're about to stop producing oil or gas or stop using oil or gas it means transition it means Finding our way successfully to a future that employs multiple energy sources and new energy sources, things like hydrogen, etc., cetera, uh, in order to power our lives, power our economies in a manner that can be consistent with the climate change and environmental objectives. And I think it'll be some of the big experienced companies that are in the energy sector already, and many of which are in Alberta, that are going to help find the solutions and drive the changes. But I think as a nation, if we sit and say, gee, they really have to figure this out, and uh, boy, I hope they do it soon, and it's all us versus them, as opposed to determining a pathway that has a likelihood of working, assessing the amount of innovation that has got to shift, how much capital is that going to require, how to create specialized financial tools to finance that kind of transition, how to align regulations with that kind of positive shift that we are going to require, then I think we're in a mess. But if we can do that together, then I think, we've got a huge potential ahead of us to not only stay outsized players in the energy world, but to in fact enhance our position in the global energy world. And I think that's um, an objective worth fighting for collectively, not, not separately, individually and at odds. So if we can come together um, what, though, of the other
0: concerns that if we start focusing on environmental, social and governance criteria when making investment decisions, the Americans simply won't and will find ourselves at a competitive disadvantage economically as well as financially?
1: Well, I think uh, broadly that's a fallacy. Um, first of all, I think there are many, many leading investors that are in the, um, in the US that are actually leading some of the thinking with regard to um, this type of investing, um, number one. Um, and I think uh, with a big country and a leading country like that, sometimes you can, ha- you can be very contradictory with yourself and you can have folks operating at, at all ends of the spectrum. Um, and perhaps they do, but they've got an enormous number of uh, cutting-edge investors that are looking at these issues. They've got a lot of people uh, like TCFD, SASB, kind of organizations that have been largely driven by leaders in the U.S. And um, as a result, I think your presumption is perhaps a bit off base. Furthermore, while we can say that some of the deregulation uh, in particular in certain sectors that we've observed coming from the states may still be at odds with um, the way subnational governments, be they states or cities uh, or other groups, um, are pursuing the issue. And I think it is a massive head fake. If we are taking certain statements that are made by certain leaders and extrapolating that that means the whole country is against the sorts of notions that we're talking about and the whole country is static and not progressing on the kind of issues that we're talking about. I think that's a massive mistake. And uh, frankly, who knows, we've got an election coming up very, very shortly uh, in the U.S. And we could see a fundamental shift that takes place at a federal level, let alone what's going on at the subnational level that I talked about. There is enormous amount of money in the U.S., an enormous amount of innovation in the U.S., a lot of local regulation that is taking place in the US that is driving towards a low carbon future. And they're doing it in part because they believe that it's essential to do that, but they're doing it in part because they know that that will lead to a more sustainable economic future and that this issue is not going to go away. And solving it in a manner that enhances your economic competitiveness becomes absolutely essential. And um, if you look beyond the U.S., you can say, oh, my goodness, isn't China some of the source of, of uh, some of the biggest problems, the coal-fired uh, energy, uh, etc." cetera? Um, but at the same time, you might take a look at them and you might say, wow, they are being incredibly strategic. They want to be able to get access to 25% plus of the vehicle auto market uh, by virtue of focusing on electric vehicles. And then they wanna be the battery uh, leader in that context. And they want to be the high-speed energy transmission uh, leader And they want to be able to do that in order to drive massive investment in renewables in certain parts of the country and efficiently and effectively get that electrical uh, resource into the urban centers. Um, And all the innovation that is taking place around those types of activities and many, many more China's acting very strategically, saying, this is great. Markets are going to open up to us that were somewhat closed or oligopolistic previously. All of a sudden, we've got a chance to be a major player, and we are going to go for it, because we understand this notion of transition and where the world's going to. And we want to get there and have uh, a very significantly expanded piece of the pie in the context of doing that, so if you relate that back to Canada, and, and by the way, um, when I when I reference China, the U.S., it's it, it's the EU with uh, their their new uh, plan that uh, is talking about border tax adjustments that will um, uh, try to compensate for issues in and around uh, carbon. Uh, it has to do with the UK, who are very overtly trying to think about their net zero plans in terms of economic competitiveness. And they have many government ministries working together as one to try to figure this out. So for Canada, I think, um, as I say, it's a head fake if we're looking to a few um, leaders and their comments, we have to look at what's really going on and where the money's starting to flow to and, um, and say, we, we realize things are shifting. I mean, when companies like Microsoft come out and say, not only are we going to be carbon negative uh, very, very shortly, by 2050, instead of focusing on being net zero by 2050, We're going to have taken out all the carbon that we ever put in the atmosphere. And we're going to set that as one of our major focus areas and goals. And it's going to involve huge investment in carbon capture. It's going to cause fundamental shifts in how we do things. We're going to drive an internal carbon price throughout the company in order to adjust behaviors. And we believe it's going to make us stronger and better and enhance uh, external views of the company to give us way more freedom in pursuing our strategy going forward. And I pick up Microsoft, but there are many, 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 many companies that are starting to come out uh, with a similar context of
0: what role does government play in supporting Canada's transition to sustainable finance?
1: The natural instinct instinct for many of us is often to say, gee, this is a big thorny issue and uh, government's got to solve it. Um, it's up to them to solve this thing. Uh, they've got all the levers. They can tell us what to do. But in reality, I think the panel took a view, it's not for government to solve, it's for the private sector to solve. But in that context, it's up to the government to create the conditions for the private sector to solve it. You might then say, well, great, what's this got to do with the financial sector? And I think similarly, the financial sector itself is not going to solve an issue like climate change, but it's going to be the central enabler for capital to flow or not flow in the necessary directions to allow the real economy to adjust and the real economy to thrive. And that's why it's so essential that the reflexes of the financial sector are aligned with the ultimate need to build low carbon competitiveness throughout our economy. Andy Chisholm is a corporate director at the
0: Royal Bank of Canada and a member of the Expert Panel on Sustainable Finance with the Government of Canada. Still to come, from a physically distant C.D. Howe Institute, can COVID-19 propel Ontario's justice system into the digital age with Chief Justice Jeffrey Morowitz and the Honourable Douglas Downey? That's July 23rd. Visit cdhowe.org to sign up for the webinar's. Stay healthy, stay safe. I'm Michael Hainsworth. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the C.D. Howe
1: Institute podcast with Michael Hainsworth. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The C.D. Howe Institute is an independent, not-for-profit research institute whose mission is to raise living standards by fostering economically sound public policies. The Institute is widely considered to be Canada's most influential think tank and a trusted source of essential policy intelligence, distinguished by nonpartisan, evidence-based research and subject to definitive expert review. Visit cdhow.org and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you.